0: to our Wednesday night Bible study. Those of you that are here tonight on this chilly night and those of you that are joining us online, uh, tonight, as with last night we had, last Wednesday, our small groups are going on, so a number of the people that are usually here are attending those small groups, and we're glad that they're doing that. So let's pray as we begin to look into God's Word tonight. Father, we thank you for your wonderful grace and faithfulness to us. We thank you, Father, that that when we're strong, you're right there with us, strengthening us. And when we have times of weakness, you're still there holding us up. When we're, things look clear to us, you're there giving us greater clarity. And when things just look confusing and dark, you're still there, ready to show the way. Help us to continue to grow in our trust in you in every situation, recognizing what your word says, that in every situation in our life, whether it looks good or bad, whether it's great or whether it's stressful, whatever it may be, and we're living in a world that's very stressful right now, that your word promises us that you cause all things, all things, to work together for our good, for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. And people that are here tonight and watching online certainly are called according to your purpose, and they're certainly here and watching because they love you. So we ask the Holy Spirit tonight to do just what your word says he's been given to us to do. He searches the depths of your heart to bring forth and reveal to us things that our eyes have not seen, our ears have not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. So, Holy Spirit, we're trusting you tonight to take the things that you've been showing me, that you have put in my heart, and grant to me the grace to be able to find the right words and to share them and even more than that, for the anointing of your spirit upon those words to to sink them into our hearts and to open the eyes of our understanding and see the depth of your word and what it means to us and the depth of what you want to show us tonight. You know where each person is here and online. You know where each one of us is. You know what we need. And we're trusting you as only you can do that to show us these things, not just to our mind, but to sow them and implant them as the seed of the word of God into our hearts and so we trust you to do that and thank you for it by faith in jesus name amen i want to share with you something that has very been very much on my heart lately because of my own growth in 45 years of walking with the lord and as a pastor over all these years seeing people struggle with certain things and not understanding why certain things work and certain things don't and and god doesn't hold back from us if we ask him he'll he'll show us it may not be what you want to see, and it may not be when you want to see it. But He is faithful to show us. So what I want to show you, talk to us tonight about is is one particular word in the Bible. We tend, those of us that read our Bibles, and I'm assuming on Wednesday night that's all of us, um, we tend to, we tend to very often just read over things, especially verses we know we've read so much we know by heart, and we tend to read over words, and our mind says, yeah, I know what that word means, and we just keep going on to the next word. And not allowing the Holy Spirit to take that individual words and let him grab hold of those words and open them up to you and show you the deeper meaning for you in your life. And I want to take one of those words that God's been the Holy Spirit's been doing this very thing for me. And I want to start by going through just a couple of verses that are what we're all familiar with. And I want to highlight highlight a word. So let's start with the verse that talks about our salvation, Romans chapter ten, verse eight. Verse 9 and verse 10. Well, what does it say? That is, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the word of faith which we preach. Verse 9. And this is how we're saved. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Verse 10. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So go back to verse, go back to verse 9, if you can. If we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, that's with this, and believe in our heart. That's the word I want to talk about tonight. Believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Verse 10 again. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. So we know that verse. We read over that verse. You may quote that verse. You may memorize that verse. And we read our, right over the word heart very often without really understanding the significance of what that means. I want to go to another verse, which is very well known around here. Mark 11:22, talking about This is the prayer of faith. So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. And now he's going to tell us what that looks like have faith in God. Literally, it says, have the faith of God. But assuredly, I say to you, this is is an amazing statement. It's so easy to read over this in church, read over this in your Bible study, and then go off into our life, look at all the problems and mountains in our life, and say, oh my goodness, they're overwhelming, what are we going to do? When Jesus has told us something, and the question is, do we really believe this is true? Or maybe we believe that's true. Maybe we stepped out on it and it hasn't worked. That was my experience for a long time. I would breathe. and this is one of my concerns in, for Christians that have been around a while. Because what happens is when you take God's word, you believe God's word, you begin to apply God's word, and it doesn't seem to be working in your life. And that happens over a period of time. There are two basic things that we tend to do. One is we just walk away and say it doesn't work for me or it doesn't work and we just throw it out and and maybe eventually leave church and just walk away from God or just get discouraged or go to some other church that doesn't teach these kind of things. Or what's more common is, and this is in some ways more dangerous, what's more common is we believe those verses in church. We believe those verses when we open our Bible, but we have two different categories in our mind. There's what I believe is true, and then I don't really expect it to happen in my life. And that's very often why it doesn't happen, because we don't expect it to happen in our life. And I believe tonight we're going to see one, one reason why that's so. You know, at least it was a reason why God began to show me. So again, this is, look at this promise. Assuredly, I say unto you, that's Jesus saying this, not some theologian, I say unto you, whoever, now he's talking to the disciples, But the word whoever means it's not limited to the disciples. It's limited to whoever meets the qualification that's about to follow. Whoever's a great all-inclusive word in the Bible. It means it's up to us, it's not up to God. So much of of the church believes that whatever happens is whatever God decides to happen. It's called the sovereignty of God, that doctrine of the sovereign. And God is sovereign, but they misunderstand what sovereignty is. They think sovereignty means God... Everything that happens, God has made to happen. And that's just not scriptural. That leaves the devil out completely. It's like he has nothing; to, he's no involvement, although Jesus dealt with him. The sovereignty of God means that nobody can make God do what he doesn't want to do. There's nobody higher than God. So clearly God is sovereign. The other way I look at it is a sovereign God, as a sovereign act of his sovereign will, decided to give us free will so we can make our own choices. We didn't take that away from him because he is sovereign. He gave it to us. He gave to that man and that woman in the Garden of Eden and to all of us the free will to make choices of whether they're going to obey him or not obey him, follow him, believe in him, believe in his word. That's a promise. That's a gift he gave to us. But we didn't take it from him. If we took it from him, he wasn't sovereign. But he gave it to us freely as an act of his sovereign will. So whoever means it's up to us. It's not just whether God's already decided this. It's whether we will do what follows and what follows. Whoever says to this mountain. So here again, we just read about how we're saved. With the mouth confession is made unto righteousness. So our mouth has to be involved. We have to speak it out. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later on. For whoever says to this mountain, and that's a physical mountain in his case, but it was a problem, be removed and be cast into the sea, and here's the key, and does not doubt in his heart, there's that word heart again, does not doubt in his heart, but believes, and the implication is there in his heart, that those things which he says shall be done. So if we don't say anything, there's nothing will be done. And he will have whatever he says, verse 24. Therefore, I say unto you, whatsoever things you ask when you pray, believe, and that implies with the heart, that, and that you receive them and you will have them. Next verse I want to look at before we start breaking this down is a verse that God began to deal with me about to open my eyes to some of these things. Proverbs 4.23. This is one of the most important verses to me in the Bible. Keep, some translations say guard. Keep your heart, There it is again, your heart with all, all diligence. It's like an alarm's going off. It's as if a number of, several years ago, uh, there was, word got around in our community that there was somebody, some, well, it turned out it was a kid, breaking into houses in the middle of the night where he could find an open window. He would go in and just steal things and come out. <clears throat> and he was caught because nowadays Many people have these video, these cameras in their windows, and he was stupid. He pulled the car up, got out right in front of a camera, and walked into a house and They were able to identify him. but my point is the word got around that this was going on, so I made sure I always make sure my windows are locked, but I made sure my shades are down, so he couldn 't look in. My point is, I was on alert that there was a potential for somebody to try to get break into my house and because my house, my family possessions are valuable to me, I took whatever steps I felt were necessary to guard my house with all diligence because I valued what was in it. And the writer of Proverbs here is warning us that we need to, get, we need to, we need to value our heart because out of it flow the issues, the forces of life and that's faith, that's love, that's fear. All of the spiritual forces that are out there in the universe, the way they, we, they, they work through us is flowing through our heart. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight because of this. Guard your heart with all diligence because out of your heart flow all the issues or forces forces of life. And this really began to change my life when I began to realize that my heart and the condition of my heart was crucial to my walk with God and the effectiveness of God working in my life and through my life. So I want to share with you tonight really simple things that, that I've learned. And I've seen, <coughs> I've seen the, to me, the biggest mistake I've seen as a pastor in people struggling with faith. People, I've seen people in the hospital, and I, and I can see it. They're in the hospital with some dire condition, and they're playing healing scriptures over and over and over again. And that's wonderful. But the Bible doesn't promise us if you pray, pay, play hearing scriptures over and over again that you'll be healed. It doesn't promise us if you, if you just declare them over and over again. The condition is you have to believe it in your heart and say it with your mouth. And, and because we're not focused so much on that word heart, we tend to skip over that and say, well, I am believing. But the question is, am I believing in my heart? Or some of the other alternatives we'll, we'll talk about in a minute. So the question is, first of all, what does the Bible mean by heart? Well, it can mean several different things. Let's talk, first of all, what it does not mean. It does not mean your mind. And this is the biggest thing we'll talk about in a minute. Because is it, does, Jesus did not say, if you believe in your mind and confess with your mouth. He didn't say, speak to the mountain as long as you don't doubt in your mind. And Again, I'll break this down a little bit more. It's not your your mind. It's not your emotions. It's not inspiration. And that's where many people make a mistake. They get inspired by the word of God and think that means they're in faith. What it means is they're inspired. Inspiration is good because it motivates us to start doing something, but that's not enough. It's like I, I walked in the house today and I could smell banana bread cooking. And my mouth, that inspired me so much that my saliva glands began to work. All right? And I was going to work on tonight's message and I had trouble concentrating. But smelling it inspired me to want to eat it, but that wasn't eating it. I'll do that when I get home. <laughs> so, so what is it? What does it mean? It's the deepest part of you it's your spirit, it's the deepest part of you, it involves your will, your motives, and your intentions. There's an expression that's common, that we're used to, it really does describe it. It's, well, that's the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter means the essence of it. And so this is at the very heart of your being, and this is what we're going to talk about, talk about tonight. We have been given, well, I want to share an example of what I'm talking about tonight. When I first got saved, I got a hold of some tapes by, of somebody who taught on divine healing. And I just, I'd never heard this before. It just shocked my mind. And, and I began to listen to it over and over again. And the more I heard it, the more it inspired me that, wow, that's neat. I could see the scriptures. And again, my mind, my legal mind, lines things up orderly and follows a logical conclusion. And I, I got the scriptures together. And I I can see that. I can see that stripes of Jesus, we've been healed, so I believe that. At that time, I was working in a large law firm in Boston. At that time, I had a condition in my body where, on the spur of the moment, I could break out in hives. Not little hives, but hives that could swell up my whole forearm. They could swell up the bottom of my feet. So I'd go into the doctor about it, and he gave me these little green pills. I don't remember what they were, but I know they were powerful because when I would take one of these pills, it would stop them right away. They would begin to absorb into my body, but these pills would knock me out. I mean, it would just, I could hardly stay awake, and so I'm, I'm reading about healing. I'm listening to, we had cassette tapes back then, listening to those about healing, and I'm getting all inspired, and I believed that, that this is what God wanted me to do, So it was a Friday. I remember Friday very well. It was a beautiful, sunny Friday in right downtown Boston, on the government center. And uh, I'm out taking a walk, and one of these things starts to hit the bottom of my feet. So I said, All right, I'm going to believe God for this. I see what the scriptures say, I understand the scriptures. I'm going to believe God to this day. So I just started walking around, confessing by the stripes of Jesus. I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. And while I'm doing it, this is getting bigger and bigger and bigger on the bottom of my foot. Then it starts breaking out somewhere else. I know what I need to do. So I went back into the office, and I had a bottle of these pills. So I'm going to step out in faith. And I took this bottle of pills, and I poured them in the toilet, and I flushed the toilet. Now I'm stepping out in faith because that was one of the principles of faith that I was taught. Well, they don't go away. They start getting worse and worse and worse. And I go home at night, and I'm still confessing the word of God. And I get in bed, and now my throat's starting to close off. And now I'm panicked. And I just close my eyes, and I say, God, if I've been foolish here, please forgive me. I'm in trouble. It's like Peter sinking, in the, having walked on the water and sinking. I'm in trouble. I need help. Or I I may die. And this is back, we're talking back in the 70s. Back then, there weren't all night drug stores besides. I didn't have the prescription. My drug store was closed. And I closed my eyes and I said, God, I need help. And this is what happened. I, I, and this is literally what happened. I could see inside of me a picture of my briefcase, which was a leather briefcase that just kind of, a soft briefcase that folded up like this. And it had a fold in the middle. And I could see one of these little green pills sticking in that fold. I ran downstairs and I opened up my briefcase and there was a little green pill sticking in that fold. Now, that's an operation of one of the gifts of the Spirit. We're not teaching on that tonight. I swaddled that so fast and it reversed it. And the next morning I went and I got my prescription renewed. And I just now, what, what was wrong? And I was a new Christian. And now I'm confused. I'm frustrated. Part of my concern is that I'm not the only one that's had this experience. Many of us have stepped out in faith and not seen something happen. And, and and then we get discouraged or we get frustrated. But I didn't know some things I know now. Because I was listening to teaching and then I was going to apply the teaching without really hearing the teaching. We'll talk a little bit about this on Sunday. So, what does that mean? We have some amazing promises from God. And that depend, on our, that depend on our understanding what he's saying to us. And so often we read the words, we intellectually understand the words, but we don't really get the meaning of those words down inside of us. And this is what we're going to talk about tonight. So, let's look at one of these. We need to listen to the instructions. John fifteen seven. This is one of the last instructions Jesus gives to his church. But again, it's to us. If you abide in me, here's the conditions. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire. You will ask what you desire. Not what God desires. You will ask what you desire. And the word ask there, the Greek word ask, has the implication of demanding for yourself. You will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Two conditions. You abide in him. That talks about your relationship, a living relationship with him. And then you, his word has to abide in you. And we're going to develop that tonight. What does it mean for his word to to, to abide in you? How do words abide in us? Well, to do that... Let's go back to Proverbs chapter 4. These are the verses right before the verse we read in the beginning. My son. So it's a relationship here. comes out of a relationship. My son, give attention to my words. What does it mean? So here again, we can read over these very quickly. I, I mean, they're just second nature to me. What does it mean to give attention to? To my words. Ever being in class as a student, especially when you were younger, and, and it may have been you or maybe some friend of yours, the teacher is teaching and your mind's wandering. You're hearing the words and the, the words are going in your mind, but you're not really paying attention to the words. Or as a child, you're Mother or your father or parent tried to tell you something that they wanted you to do, and your mind was wandering because probably you didn't want to do it. Like it's time to wash the dishes, it's time to go to bed, or they're just giving you some instructions you're not interested, in, and they're, that's it. Pay attention. They're trying to get your attention, but this is something we have to initiate. It's an in, intentional paying of attention. Pay attention to what. Pay attention to my words. So that's not just reading them, because again, we read the Bible and we need to read the Bible. And some, you may memorize the Bible, but paying attention means more than just reading it. It's giving your full attention to it, as if you really need to hear what it's, what it's going to say. <coughs> Excuse me. Incline your ear to my sayings. Now, there's an old commercial that we're going to try to show you that's a great example of this. This is an old commercial by the brokerage firm E.F. Hutton. Can you show that video? As I've been saying, that's only my broker's opinion. What does your broker think? My broker's E.F. Hutton, mm-hmm. and E.F. Hutton says... When E.F. Hutton talks, people listen. The question is, when God talks, do we listen? The whole implication there was to promote E.F. Hutton was such a good brokerage firm that everybody wanted to know what their advice was because their advice is going to make you money. But we have here some wisdom and advice infinitely more valuable than E.F. Hutton. God's counsel, God's advice. And the question is, are we paying attention to it? Are we inclining our ear? That means leaning in to hear it. I mean, I've got, I have got—I want to hear what they have to say. It's as if you're, 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 you're in your doctor's office and, and the doctors run some tests and they're going to meet with you now to give the results of that test. You want to hear what those instructions are they're giving you. So because you're motivated, you know you need the information that that doctor's giving you. You'll pay special attention. You'll incline your ear, which means you're, you're tuning other things out because you, you want to, you need to hear what's being said. So the question is, are we doing that with God's Word? The person that I'm thinking of that was in the hospital years ago, and I've seen this happen multiple times, where they've where they're, they're, they're been diagnosed with something terminal, And so they're playing 24 hours a day CDs of healing scriptures, and that's great. But they're not paying attention to what they're hearing, and they're not inclining their ear to hear it. They're just playing it as background noise. I suspect they were paying far more attention... To the test results, they were paying far more attention to just the sounds that were going on in that room that are just so can be very threatening to your faith—the beeping and the the measure, you know, things going off, all those things, plus what's going on in the hallway. They were paying more attention to that. They were not inclining their ear to hear what was being said in those scriptures. Why is this important? And then the third thing is, incline your ear to my sayings, verse twenty-one. Do not let them depart from your eyes. This is part of the advice that God gave to Joshua back when he took over for Moses about meditating in the Word, not letting it depart from his eyes. That, mean, that doesn't mean walking around with your Bible like that. That means keeping your attention on it. And we get distracted by things, and depending on what you're believing God for, if it's really serious, you may have to do some very serious changes in your lifestyle so that you're keeping that before you all the time. Because there's information trying to get in your mind all the time. And you have control over much of that. And so these statements are very intentional. Do not let them depart from your eyes. And here it is again. Keep them in the midst of your heart. So the point of all this, when Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, He's talking about his words getting planted or sown in our hearts long enough to take root in our hearts and begin to bear fruit coming out of our mouth or out of the things, out of the things that we do. Keep them in the midst of your heart means maintaining a guard and valuing what has been received, because I have news for you, our heart leaks. What you get in there. Today, if you don't keep maintaining it, life begins to, it begins to leak out because we get distracted by so many things that are going on around us or in our own life. Plus, we have an enemy whose sole purpose is to distract us. His goal is to get that word, either keep that word out of your heart or make sure if it gets in there, it gets drowned out or comes out. But it's up to us to guard our hearts. So what is this talking about? This is talking about meditating. Meditating on God's word. And this is the instruction God gave to Joshua so that he could overcome the obstacles that they were going to face. And this is the instruction we've been given. The way you get that word in your heart, the way that word gets down in your heart, the way that word abides in you is by meditating on it. So I want to talk a little bit about what meditating is And then I want to go through a parable that Jesus teaches, which is a perfect example of all of this. So, first of all, you're all experts at meditating. You're all experts at meditating, some more than others, because it's really simple. If you can worry, you can meditate, because all worry is is meditating, but it's meditating on the lies of the devil, not on the word of God. So God began to teach me years ago, you already know how to meditate. You just need to take the principles that you, that you exercise in worrying and begin to apply them to God's Word. So what, what's the first thing? Is when you're, when you're worrying about something, your mind's so focused on it that it begins to magnify. See, if, the more you focus on something, your mind on something, the bigger it gets in your mind. So some little pain... If you begin to think about that and what that could mean, can begin to have you on the, on, the, on the emergency room in your mind tomorrow morning. It can begin to grow, and that's what worry does. It begins to take one little thought, and you water it. You keep thinking about it. You keep rolling it over in your mind. And then if you start talking to people about it, it begins to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. And grow. But that was designed by God for meditating on his word. Satan's just usurped something God has given us in order to destroy that word of God in our hearts. So the first thing we do is when we're taking a scripture is make sure you understand what it says. And there's some scriptures that are hard to understand. Peter said there were some things Paul wrote that he had trouble understanding. So don't take something you don't understand or ask God to give you understanding because remember the author is living inside of you. So the first thing is you want to understand it. The next thing is you want to begin to, to let it roll around in your mind. So the way I do it is I just I talk it out. I'll take a scripture and I'll talk to God about it. And what I, if I'm working, trying to build my faith in a particular area, then I'll take a time during the day where I know I'm going to be do something, the same thing every day to remind me. So with me, it's taking a shower. When I get in the shower, there are just certain scriptures that I talk out loud to God. And what I find is as I do it, when you first begin to do it, your mind's going to say nothing's happening, it's not working, but if you continue to do it, what you will find happen is the Spirit of God will begin to begin to take some of those words and a light will kind of go on. Suddenly you'll begin to get ideas or understanding that you didn't have before. A lot of what I've taught over these years has come that way. I'll take scriptures and I'll just begin to read through them, make sure my mind understands them, and then I'll begin to talk about them and think about what does that mean. Another way to do it is what does it mean if it were really true in my life so if it really were true that God's not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and a sound mind and of course the word of God says that's true but what if that were really see this is the disconnect we have we know it's true because the Bible says it's true but do I really believe it's true for me so if that's really true for me how would that change my life if I really had no fear at all what would I do differently than I'm doing right now And I began to think about what are those things and begin to imagine myself. Imagination is so important. God's given us an imagination so that we can take his word and the spirit of God can begin to... Dr. Cho used to talk. He, He could paint these beautiful pictures, visions and dreams. So we're supposed to have visions. And I'm not talking about necessarily seeing angels in the room. I mean God giving you visions for your future, visions of what's potential, Almost none of us ever hit the potential that God has for us because our minds think of ourselves so small and so little of what God's done for us because we've not taken God's word and allow the Spirit of God to take that word. See, so when you meditate on it, when you begin to roll it around in your mind and you begin to talk to yourself about it or talk to God about it, the Spirit of God begins to activate that in you and He'll begin to show you things. And if you begin to value what He shows you, He'll start showing you more and He'll start bringing about changes inside of you without you even realizing it. Another way to do it is just a simple way to do it, is to take a simple scripture, is by his stripes I'm healed and just go through it emphasizing one word at a time. By his stripes I'm healed. By his stripes I'm healed. By his stripes I'm healed. And do that slowly. And while you're doing that, you're meditating on the word. You're putting. You're speaking it to yourself because the word, the, the word meditate in the Bible literally means to mutter to yourself. It's to talk to yourself. Thinking isn't good enough. You have to speak it out. See, we saw several places where the Bible talks about speaking with your mouth and believing in your heart. So confessing it out, confessing that word, speaking that word to yourself. Because when you speak to yourself, the most important person that hears what you're saying is you. Which means when you're saying other things that are not God's word, you're also hearing what you're saying. So when we're speaking doubt, I can't ever do that, guess who always hears you? You do. And you're sowing seeds into your mind and into your heart. So let's take a look at Matthew chapter 13. I'm going to read down through part of this. Whoops, Matthew, very important parable that Jesus says. On the same day, we're just going to read down through it for a point. because we're going to go through the parable, and then he talks about what it means to be a parable, and then he explains the parable. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. Great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that he got into a boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, and this is the one he says, Behold, a sower, this is a farmer, sower went out to sow, And he sowed some seed, fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth and immediately sprang up because it had no depth of earth. Keep going. When the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root in them, they withered away. Some fell on thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Keep going. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. We're going to talk about this on Sunday. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? See, they're asking a question. Okay, go ahead. And he answered them and said, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it's not been given. Now, again, we'll talk more about this on Sunday, but I'll give you a preview. This sounds on first blush like Jesus is saying, look, I have a select few here, which is you guys. And they're all going, yeah, that's us. But these turkeys down there, it's not been given to them to know. So God has ordained for these special group to know things that they've not been known. But that's not what he's saying here. That's not consistent with the character of God. Next verse. Here's the answer. For whoever, there's that word whoever again. Whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will be given in abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. What's he talking about? He gave you the answer. Has what? He who has, what he has more will be given to him. He who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. That sounds like double talk. How can you take away from somebody something that he doesn't have? Well, the answer is in the verse before. He who has ears to hear. He who wants to hear, he who wants to hear what he hears, what he has, the knowledge he has, the understanding he has, more will be given to him because he wants to hear. But he who does not have ears to hear, even what he does understand will eventually be taken away from him. And here he says, go, go, go to the next verse. That's why I speak to them in parables. See, Jesus Jesus didn't just tell everybody the secrets. He would tell a parable and then he'd wait to see who came and asked him about it. Because when they come and ask him about it, they really want to know, what did you mean? But the rest of them walked away saying, boy, he tells nice stories. And that's true in churches too. On any Sunday morning or Wednesday night, people are hearing at different levels. And keep in mind that Holy Spirit has something to say to each one of us every time we come together. And some people are able to hear what he really wants to say to them that day. And some people walk away saying, well, but evaluate the message. For Pastor Michael did a great job on Sunday morning, and he did. And if you walk out of here saying, Pastor Michael did a great one's job on Sunday morning, you missed it. You didn't hear what God was saying. You saw simply in the physical what was going on and you didn't. And what you saw will eventually fade away because you didn't have ears to hear. Of course, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking about the bunch that came Sunday morning that aren't here. Okay, all right. Verse 14. In them the prophecy Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing they will hear and shall not understand, and seeing they will see and will not perceive. Keep going. For the hearts of this people to become dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes are closed. Boy, does that speak of the era we're in now. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts. Keep going. And turn and I should heal them. Next verse. Blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. Keep going. Assuredly, I say to you, that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Therefore, hear the parable. Now he's going to explain it to them. When anyone comes and hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart, and he who's received, this is he who received by the wayside. So, first of all, we see the, the, the word, the seed here, is the word of God. The soil that it's sown in represents the condition of our hearts. So, in each of these examples, we're going to see the same seed was sown in each soil. And they produce different results depending on the quality of the soil. But what I will talk again more about this on Sunday. But what I want to emphasize to you tonight: what's getting sown into their heart is the Word of God. Now let's think about a seed for a minute, because this is the example that Jesus is using. So if you if you want to plant, uh, I don't know. Let's say you, you want to plant. Uh, well, let's let's use the example of of an acorn. An acorn, as I understand it, is the seed of an oak tree. So there's, a, there's an oak tree in our yard, huge oak tree in our yard. But it didn't start, somebody didn't come in with this 75-foot oak tree and plant it. It started as a little acorn, most likely. But inside that acorn, listen carefully, incline your ear to hear, inside that acorn is everything necessary to produce that 75 foot oak tree it's contained in the seed everything necessary to produce corn stalk is contained in that kernel that seed everything that's necessary all the power all the energy all the DNA that's necessary to produce that fruit is contained in the seed in each case here let's go quickly through them and I'll go back over this Okay, next verse. But he received the seed on stony places, so he hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Praise God, Pastor Michael did a great job. And it has no root in himself. And Notice that he has no root in himself. It's not the seed, does not For when tribulation and persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Keep going. He received the seed is among, among the thorns as he hears the word, and the cares of this world... The deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. He who receives the seed on good ground is he who hears the word, understands it, who indeed bears fruit, produces 160 and 30 fold. Same seed. The difference was the condition of the soil and that's what determined the fruit that was going to be produced. But the principle here is that seed has within it everything that's necessary to produce what it was designed to produce. But it will not produce it unless it is sown into the soil that is in a condition to nurture that seed, to water it and nurture it with the nutrients so that it can germinate and it can grow and it produces the fruit. So what in the world does that have to do with what we're talking about tonight? We're talking about God's word. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, if you incline your ear to hear, if you pay attention to my word, you incline your ear to hear, you not let it depart from your eyes, but you keep it in the midst of your heart. The next verse says, it will produce life and healing. The word of God every word of God has within it the power of God to produce exactly what it says. When God said, let there be light, the angels didn't run out there with a bunch of flashlights and turn them on. The power to produce light, the power to create the universe, the power to do that was in the words spoken by God in faith. the power to produce whatever God's intended is is already in that word. The question is, what do we do with that seed? Do we sow it into a heart where it can germinate and it can be nurtured and it can grow? Because notice the seed produces the fruit. That's why the fruit is called the fruit of the Spirit. It's not a series of instructions that are given to you. You need to love people. You need to be joyful. You need to be faithful. You need to be kind and to go through all nine of these. These are things you're commanded to do. No, they're the fruit of the Spirit in you as you allow Him to bear that fruit through your life. Well, the seed of the Word of God, when it's sown into our heart and it's allowed to germinate and it's watered and it's protected and it's kept, it cannot fail because it's God's word planted in your heart, and it contains the power to produce. So let's say it's healing, and you're able to take the word of God. And This is what happened to me. I finally realized several years ago, I really need to learn to stand on it no matter what happens. And about that time, I noticed the growth under my jaw here. That didn't bother me very much, but it kept getting bigger, and so you could see it under here. And I thought it was just a clogged gland or something. So I go to the I go to the walk-in clinic, and he comes and feels around, and he says, well, he starts asking me some questions I didn't like, like, "Has there any cancer in your family? I said, why are you asking that? And he says, you know, I, I really would like you checked out by an ENT doctor. Well, why, if it's just a gland, he says, I just want you to be checked out. So, I go to see an ENT doctor, and he says, I don't think I'm really concerned about it, but let's, let's have an ultrasound done. Huh? That's a big deal. Okay, so I get an ultrasound done, and I go back to him, figuring everything's fine. And he said, Well, they found blood vessels in it, which means it's a growth, and they want to do a biopsy. That's a little more invasive than an ultrasound. And I don't, you know, so now fears to, my mind's starting to meditate on what could this mean? And it doesn't take much for my mind to go in that direction. But I've been meditating on God's word. I've been doing what I've been telling you. I've been doing this. And so I just took a walk out and I just said, God, what do you want me to do? And, I, I, and he brought back to me the story of Peter getting out of the boat and walking on the water. And he said, son, at some point you've got to get out of the boat and find out what my word will do. Now, I didn't do this because I thought of it. In fact, I sat down with a good friend of mine who is mature, one of our elders, and I talked with him. And I said, this is what I'm considering. I don't want to make this decision just because I think it's a good idea. And he said, I know you well enough to know this is not you. So I called up and canceled the biopsy, and my mind went berserk. But I had to act on what I believed. Now remember, I've done this before with those green pills and found out the hard way that you can't step out on your own inspiration. But I knew in my heart I needed to do this. I knew this was God telling me to do. So now I've got to, I, I just every day in the, in the shower, I wouldn't even touch it. I would just. Con, I would go through certain scriptures, and I would talk to God by them. But as I did that, this, what I'm teaching you began to develop in me. And I began to realize I was getting a vision in me of the, the fact that Jesus had already healed me, that this was already taken care of, that I didn't need to worry about it. It was all taken care of. And, and I'd love to tell you that the next day it went away. It didn't. Weeks went by. Several months went by. About five or six months went by. And, and about that time, COVID's hitting, and I'm saying, I need to hear something. Something has to happen. And I went to shave one day, and I noticed it was smaller. Well, I'm thankful for that, but I'm not going to stop there. This is where some people give up. They get their eyes on the, on the symptoms. And I just kept doing the same thing every morning. I kept meditating on that word by just talking to God. Thank you. Your character, in fact, I'm writing a book right now based on what God showed me in this story. I thank you, God. Your character and nature is to heal. Because it's your character and nature, Jesus displayed that because he never said no to anybody. Everybody that came to him was healed. And your word says that he's the exact representation of your nature. So I know that's your nature. So whether I get healed or not doesn't tell me anything about your nature. I want to receive that. And I began to talk to myself. And as I did, all I can describe it is it just became more and more real inside of me to the point that I knew in here, I knew in here that whatever I felt or saw it didn't matter, that this thing was healed. And one day I go into the shower and I went like this and it's gone. Just completely disappeared. And I've had other things happen like that. I had another situation where I was uh, went on Bible school. Oh, these hives! Now I go to Bible school. This is a faith school. Here I am, six months into, and all of a sudden, these things start developing again. And 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 I'm I'm i I'm, I'm discouraged. God, I gave up my law practice. I moved my family to only you know where this place is. I don't want to come here. I don't like this place, but I'm obeying you, and I'm still having trouble with this. So as if I've somehow earned healing because I've done what God told me to do. But it's amazing, like under Job, under pressure, what's really going on inside of you comes out. And so finally it dawned on me, just what I'm showing you tonight, I realized I've never done that about this. I've never taken the concentrated time and put that word into into me about that. So I determined this. Every free moment, every free moment, that I didn't have to be concentrating on something, I took one scripture, and I would meditate on that scripture. Just one scripture. See, you don't need 20 of them. You need one that gets in you. Sometimes 20 of them, they're not going to all get in you. One of them gets in you. And I meditated on this, I meditated on it for one solid week. Every time I had a free moment. See, now I was serious. I needed to attend to that word. And at the end of that week, one of these things started developing on me, and I opened my mouth to speak to it, and the authority and power that came out of me scared me. I couldn't believe the authority that came out of me when I spoke to that hive, and it shrank right up and never came back. But I had put that word into my heart, and the word, once it got rooted in my heart, had the power and authority of God to reverse those hives. So in my life, the times when I have not really received it, <clears throat> I look back and realize I'm really not determined. I've got this nagging cough for a couple of weeks, and, and, I, and, and yet there's something else I've just been healed of. And it's like, well, why haven't... I? But I really never... Did. I kind of coddled it. It's like I kind of tolerated it. <clears throat> so you can go through the motions, but where, what's, where's my heart in it? See, my heart was determined to get rid of those hives. My heart was determined to get rid of this growth. My heart hasn't been determined to get rid of this cough because uh, I could tolerate it. A lot of people have it right now. So what, where, where is your heart in it? Where is your commitment to it? <clears throat> Let's go on. So here you've got this, the same seed, and you've got different soils. The first soil is like hard paint. It's so hard it never even gets in the soil. So Satan comes immediately. Notice Satan comes to steal the word. Why? Because Satan knows what that word will do if it gets sown into your heart. He's scared of that word. That's what he's after. That's what he's after when you're reading your Bible. That's what he's after when you're facing situations. That's what he's after when you're in church to try to distract you so that this word does not get sown into your heart. Because if it gets sown into your heart, he knows there's nothing he can do about it. He who hears the word, then it was one that receives it with joy. So go to the next verse. It has no root in himself. So it gets in there, but it never develops root. So there's joy because when you hear the word, it inspires you. That's what happened to me with those little green pills, with the hives the first time. I listened to tapes and I got inspired. Oh, if they can do that, I can do that. But that's not faith. That's inspiration. And that's why it didn't work. And that's what happened. no root in himself. He endures for a little while, but when trouble or persecution comes, notice it comes because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Why? Because it has no root in him. He who receives the word among the thorns is he who hears the word, and this is the biggest one. This is where most of us are. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and I think one of the other versions of this, and the lust for other things, Chokes the word. Now think of this example. You've got soil, and you go out to plant a garden in the springtime. If you're a good gardener, what's the first thing you'll do? You'll, you'll till the soil. You'll, you'll, you'll turn, churn it up, and anything that's in there that could compete with the seeds you're going to plant, you remove. Weeds. My mother was a horticulturist. She knew the Latin name for the plants that we planted. And I, I, she had a green She, she could grow anything. I have a black thumb. I can kill anything. Uh I didn't inherit that from her. But I know as a child, my job was to to pull up the weeds. And I hated that. I didn't understand why we couldn't leave the weeds there and just ignore them and let the flowers grow up. Because I didn't understand that, and I really didn't care. I just didn't want to have to be pulling up the weeds. I now understand that those weeds compete with the nutrition that's in the soil to rob those seeds of the full benefit of the moisture and the nutrition. And so that's what these things are designed to do. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and again, one of the other uh, versions of this parable says, the lust for other things, and it, it, what becomes unfruitful? The word sown in our heart becomes unfruitful. So it's important to understand this process. So as you look back on your life, maybe things that you've been believing God for, maybe things that you've believed God for in the past and you never saw it happen. And what was your reaction with that? Did you get discouraged and just say, well, I guess it didn't work this time? Or did you find out why? Ask why. Notice every time something didn't work the way the disciples thought they should, they pulled Jesus aside and asked him why. And Jesus never said, well, it's not for you to know. He told them why. I mean, there was one guy, the father of the, of the, the when Jesus and, uh, and the two disciples were up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and they come down, the three disciples, they come down, and the other nine are down there, and there's a turmoil going on. And Jesus comes over to see what's going on, and this father comes over with his son who was having fits. And he said, I brought my son to your disciples, and they couldn't cast him out. And then he asked this question, can you basically... If you can, would you heal my son? And I love Jesus' answer is, if I can? All things are possible to him who believes. So here again, Jesus turns it around onto him, the Father. It's not what I can do, it's what can you believe? And the Father was honest with him. He said, I believe And he did. He believed him enough to bring his son to the disciples, but he recognized my belief's not enough. held my unbelief. And Jesus commands the demon to come out. Now, it's interesting because the disciples, the nine, then come to him afterwards and said, how come we couldn't cast it out? Which means they had expected they ought to be able to do that. So they must... We know they had experience because in Luke... Chapter 9 and then again in Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends the 12 out and then he sends the 70 out and he tells them to heal the sick, raise the dead and cast out demons. And they come back with this glowing report. Master, even the demons are subject to us in their name. So they'd seen this result, but here they didn't see the result. So they pull him aside. Notice they did it privately. And they said, how come we couldn't cast that demon out? And there's two different versions of the answer. In one of the Gospels, Jesus said, "Because of your unbelief, if you have." This is again. If we often think, "Well, I don't have enough faith." Well, here's what Jesus said: All it takes, faith, is the size of a grain of a mustard seed. I used to have a mustard seed. It's the tiniest of seeds. So it's not the size of your faith. It's what you do with it. It's not how much faith, because the devil... Well, you don't have enough faith, that's your problem. You know, the problem most often is, not that I don't have enough faith, it's what else is competing with that faith, and what have I done with it. Have I sown that word in my heart so that it becomes part of me? And have I kept out of my heart those things that would rob it of its power to me? It, you can't. Satan can't rob God of his power but he can rob God's word from having power in us. Jesus said at one point to the Pharisees, your traditions, listen, to this, your traditions have made of no effect the word of God. The word of God is the most powerful force in the universe, but man's thinking can make God's word of no effect to them. So to sum it up, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you. We will ask whatever you want. And my promise is it will be done unto you. That promise is real. In fact, it's more than about us. There are people around us that God's looking to us to be able to exercise, because this is about prayer, exercising prayer and exercising our faith for God's kingdom to come into their life and his will to be done in their life. So this is important not just for us. It's important for us to fulfill what God's calling called us as believers to do. But I think the reason, and here's basically what it comes down to. Most Christians that I have met as a pastor, and even in my own life, what they don't understand is what they think is believing is believing with our mind. It's like mental ascent. John Wesley, one of his most famous sermons is called Almost Saved. And the thesis of his sermon is this. There are many people in the church in the days he was talking about that mentally agree with what we read here. If you believe in your heart and to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, they mentally believe that. But mental belief is not enough. It's got to be a belief with your heart. And for that to happen, his word, who he is, we have to be willing to allow that to get into our heart. Well, in the same way, we can mentally assent to God's promises. God's promises to heal us. God's promises to provide for us. God's promises to answer our prayers. I see the scriptures. I believe them with my mind. But he says, if you believe with your heart. But in order to believe with our heart, his word has to get sown into our heart. And I've learned this. When his word is in my heart and it's become part of me, I can tell the difference. And many times I can tell the difference in talking to somebody whether that word has become real to them in their heart or it's real to them in their head. And this can be sad sometimes because they'll think, but I believe that, I believe that, I believe that. And I'm not going to argue with them, but I know, I know that I know. It's not yet down in their heart. You'll know it when it gets down in your heart because you know that you know that you know that that word is true for you. Let's pray. Father... We thank you for your counsel. We thank you that your word not only gives us promises, but it gives us instructions on how to read them, how to receive them. And so we pray tonight that the seed of your word that's been sown into all of our hearts will go deep into our hearts, that your precious spirit will cause it to be germinated. You will begin to take the seed and begin to, to expand it in our hearts so that we can see in situations in our own life right now, whether we're believing with our mind or we're believing with our heart. And where we're in our mind, help us to grow and to, re- to learn how to receive that word in our heart and bring back to our remembrance the things that we've heard tonight when we face the situations in our life, in our home, in our family, in our job, and in the world around us. And for these things, we thank you in advance. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.